How many of you love to be reproved? I didn't think I'd see a hand. And if I did, I would tell you you could leave then because the sermon doesn't apply to you. (laughs) Uh, The text we look at this morning from Numbers chapter 14 uh, illustrates how the people of Israel rebelled against God's reproof. And they paid a price for it. And so the challenge today is that we would welcome God's love and God's discipline. And part of uh, His love indeed is discipline, isn't it? We turn to Numbers 14 then, beginning at verse 39, and reading through verse 45. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up, or you will be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. Father, these are words that you have given Words for our instruction today. Father, we pray that you would teach us what it means to respond in a positive way to your work in our lives, even your discipline, O God. Thank you that you love us so much, that you are willing to correct us when we need that. O God, help us to respond in a way that that honors and glorifies you, in a way that helps us to learn the lessons, O God, that you would want to teach us in our lives from day to day. For we pray in your name. Amen. One of the verses in Scripture that has always amazed me and and really challenged me is Psalm 141, verse 5. Written by David, it says this, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head Refuse it. Listen to that verse again. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it. The attitude with which David writes this verse of this psalm is an obvious sign of God's work in his life. And the reason I say that is because welcoming reproof is so contrary to human nature, isn't it? We don't want to be told when we are wrong. Isn't that right? Isn't that correct? We just do not like to be reproved. And we don't want to accept discipline for it. Even if sometimes that discipline comes from the hand of God. It is so easy to rebel against reproof. And that's what the people of Israel were doing in this passage of Scripture. And what we see here then are some signs that we are rebelling against God's reproof. And I would suggest there are three of them. 
Notice first of all, remorse without repentance is rebellion. Remorse without repentance is really rebellion. There are several statements in our text this morning about the people of Israel that if you look at it, just glance at it, it it appears to be, be good. But when you examine these statements a little bit more closely, you see that they really weren't genuine. The first one we find is in verse 39. It says, When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. What words did Moses give to them? We have to go back in this uh, passage, this, this chapter. And if you pick up at verse 30, here's what Moses told them. He said, Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, forty days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even forty years, and you will know my opposition." I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. Now, those were hard words, weren't they? The spies had gone to spy out the land. Remember, they came back with this report. There's no way we can enter Canaan. The people of the land are huge, the walls are high, and we're just grasshoppers in their sight. And they discouraged the congregation from entering based on God's promise that He would give them the land. And so Moses said, here is God's verdict here. You are going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, the older generation is going to die off, and your children are going to enter the land. That's the words that Moses spoke to the sons of Israel. Their response was to to mourn greatly. And you might think that uh, this was a sign of repentance. But you really have to ask the question, why did they mourn? Were they actually sorry for their sin? Or were they sorry for the consequences of their sin? Because there is a difference, isn't there? Am I sorry that I've sinned, or am I sorry because there are painful consequences that have come to me because I have sinned? Well, that question is really answered if you look at the next verse, verse 40, because they were not willing to accept God's discipline. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, Here we are! (laughs) We changed our mind now! We have sinned indeed, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. Listen to what one author says about this. He says, even though they mourned bitterly, they were far from repentant in their hearts. They were sorry for the effects of their sin, but not for the sin itself. You can see that this was the case from the fact that their very next act was a continuation of their unbelief. You know, I've seen things like this in my ministry where someone comes to you and appears to be very repentant. 
There are tears and there is sadness. But when it comes to really dealing with sin, many people don't want to deal with it. And I would say that's a sign of remorse, but not repentance. It didn't take long for this to happen after sin came into the world, right in the first family. Because remember when Cain killed his brother Abel? In Genesis chapter 4, the Lord confronted Cain, and, and Cain basically said, Am I, you know, where's your brother? Well, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be watching after him? And the Lord said, uh, you know what? The ground is cursed because of you. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And the Lord said, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth. That was God's discipline. What did Cain say? He says, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So what was he concerned about? The fact that he had killed his brother? Was he concerned about the sin of murder? He was thinking, oh, poor me, poor me. Can't you see with his lip out? Oh, well, this isn't fair, God. You know, you're going to do this to me, you know? Rather than saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I've murdered my brother. He was not concerned about the sin, but, but the consequences of his sin. Remorse, but no repentance. That's rebellion, isn't it? Remorse without repentance is rebellion. The second thing we see here is that confession without obedience is also rebellion. In verse 40, we find another statement that looks good on the surface. It's essentially the first thing that the people of Israel said to Moses in response to his word. At verse 40, they confess, we have indeed sinned. We have indeed sinned. Now, if that would have been all that the people of Israel said, and if it had come from the heart, it would have been wonderful but they went on to say that they weren't going to do what God wanted them to do. He told them very clearly, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, this generation is going to die off, and then the younger generation, they will enter the land. And they said, no. They came to Moses, here we are. We're ready to go now. Yes, we've sinned against the Lord, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. Even though God had made it clear to the people that that battle for the land of Canaan would come later. They had disobeyed the Lord. They'd have to wait for 40 years, one year for every day that they had spied out the land, but they did not want to accept that. They were determined to disobey God's command. And it's very interesting. Prior to this, when God said go, they said no, right? We could never do it. And now when God says, stay, they said, nay, <laughs> no, we're not going to do it. Isn't that interesting? Go, and they said, no. God stay, and no, we're not going to do that. We want to go now. Yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, we've sinned, God. We've, we, we've sinned, but, but we're going to go. We're going to go. The proof of repentance is a willingness to turn from sin and be obedient to God. And we don't see that here. 
We don't see that at all. And so just because someone says that they have sinned, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is genuine repentance. Just saying the words, but no change in heart and no difference in the person's life. We see this same attitude in the life of King Saul. Remember when Samuel confronted him about his disobedience to God? Saul had been told to destroy all the possessions of the Amalekites, but he didn't obey. He spared some sheep and some oxen. And when Samuel confronted him, it's very interesting to notice what his response was. He said, the reason why we spared some of these sheep and oxen is so we could sacrifice them to God. Yeah, that's why. We wanted to sacrifice them to God. Uh, Samuel said in verse, uh, 1 Samuel 15:22, he says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and Insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Now Saul's response to this is quite interesting. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, Saul said, I've sinned, but please honor me now before the elders and my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord. So Saul admits twice that he had sinned. And he knows that he's going to be removed from being king, but he wants to be honored still by the people, and he wants Samuel to go with him to worship the Lord. You know why? He wants to make it appear as if everything is fine in his relationship with the Lord, even though he knows that it isn't. So the words were there. I've sinned. Indeed, I have sinned twice, he said that, but the absence of obedience revealed that it wasn't genuine. Ever said to your kids, now tell your brother you're sorry. Tell your sister you're sorry. And they may have said the words, but you had a sneaking suspicion that it wasn't in the heart. Have you heard that before? Tell your sister I'm sorry. And what do you say? I'm sorry. It doesn't sound like it, huh? (laughs) That's what we see here. The words were there, right? With the people of Israel, with Saul, but there was no real repentance there. Because there was no change of life. 
They were unwilling to accept the discipline of God. They said, we're going to go anyhow. Confession without obedience is also rebellion. The third thing we notice here, boldness without God's presence is also rebellion. And the people of Israel said that they were now ready to go to the land that God promised them, in spite of the fact that they were told not to, Moses gave them a very firm warning. Verse 41, Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up or you will be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. How could you be clearer? For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. So twice, Moses tells them, Don't go. God will not be with you. And it didn't seem to matter to them. They were determined to go in spite of the clear warning. We're given a hint as to why they went. As Moses preached one of his sermons in Deuteronomy chapter 1, he recounts this event. And in chapter 1, verse 41, listen to what he says of Deuteronomy. He says, Then you said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as an easy thing to go up into the hill country. You regarded it as an easy thing to go up into the hill country. Now, you compare that with what they said when the spies came back, right? Twelve spies went. Only Caleb and Joshua said, we are well able to do this. God with us, we shall conquer them. The other ten said, there is no way. There is no way we can do this. Cities are fortified. People are like giants. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Not an easy thing that time. Why the change? Moses said, you you went up and you regarded it as an easy thing. Quite interesting, isn't it? Moses goes on to say in his sermon in Deuteronomy 1, verse 43, that they rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously, is the word that Moses uses. It appears as if they didn't think they needed the Lord because verse 44 of our text says they left the Ark of the Covenant in the camp, which was the symbol of God's presence, And they went up and did battle. It is foolish to go into battle thinking it will be easy. (laughs) It is not an easy thing. And it is even more foolish to go into battle without the Lord. And that's exactly what the people of Israel did. And they learned their lesson the hard way, didn't they? Verse 44 says, But they went up heedlessly, to the ridge of the hill country, 
Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. And one author says that was a hundred miles. They chased them for a hundred miles. Beat them down. Can you imagine that? What a defeat. Again, listen to Moses' description of this in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse 43, So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from seer to hornets. <laughs> you ever had to run from bees or hornets? You know, sometimes we'll get a, a hornet's nest up under the eaves of our house, and I've run from them. I get bit by a hornet, and I swell up. And boy, I'll tell you, if you start messing with their nest, and they start chasing you, you run. That's the picture of the Israelites when they heedlessly disobeyed God, and they were beat down and chased for a hundred miles like bees chasing someone. And then verse 45 of Deuteronomy 1 says, Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give heed to you. All they could do was weep. They had rebelled against the Lord and they paid a very high price. Not the most encouraging passage, is it? And you're probably wondering, is there anything encouraging here? Any gospel here? Well, let me leave you with a couple of lessons. One lesson is it doesn't pay to rebel. It's foolish to rebel, right? I mean, that is so clear. The passage we read from Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that the Lord disciplines us. Why? Because He loves us. He loves us. And we're encouraged not to despise the chastening of the Lord. Not to regard it lightly when God disciplines us. And notice what he says then in the last verse that Dave read this morning. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, what is the result? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the goal of, of God in, in our discipline, is that it would yield in our lives then the peaceful fruit of righteousness, that God would continue that process of, of conforming us to the image of His Son, making us more like Jesus. Why would we despise that? I think as a, as a child, how, how many times I despised my parents' discipline, how I rebelled against that, when they did it because they loved me. <laughs> They loved me. So God disciplines us because He loves us. The second thing I would leave with you is that when God reproves us, and there is genuine repentance, there is forgiveness. And there is a restored relationship. And that's the most important thing of all, because sometimes there are consequences for our sin that will remain in this life. But to know that we're forgiven, to know that our relationship with God can be restored when we have rebelled against Him. We're reminded of that when we come to the Lord's table this morning that Jesus died for those sins too. He died for that rebellion. He died that we might have a right relationship with Him. 
I began by quoting that verse from David. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it. There was a time when David was reproved by a man by the name of Nathan. Remember that? David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had his wife, had her husband Uriah killed in battle. And Nathan the prophet came and he confronted him. <laughs> you are the man, David. And David said, I have sinned. I have sinned. And there were consequences for his sin. But his relationship was restored. And he writes Psalm 32, our confession of sin this morning, based upon that experience. And he describes the blessedness of being forgiven. How the Lord does not hold his sin against him. And he describes how, he says, for a time I I didn't acknowledge my sin. I I kept silent and, and God's hand was heavy upon me. Those nine months when that child was being formed in the womb and David was trying to hide it all. But then Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted him and David confessed his sin. And David said, the guilt of my sin was taken away. That can be our experience today. When God disciplines us, when we've sinned, to come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, restore me. Not responding like the people of Israel who refuse to be reproved, who refuse to listen to God's instruction, but to say, God, change me, forgive me, restore me. Teach me. Help me to learn what you want me to learn as as you are in that process of of sanctification, of, of making me more like your Son, Jesus. Lord, help me not to despise your loving discipline. Maybe you see the, the funeral of, of Billy Graham this week. Did you hear what a daughter, was it the daughter Ruth, was that her name? Who was that? Yeah, wasn't it the daughter that had, had rebelled and so forth? Maybe one of, one of the daughters, anyhow. And she said, I was wondering what would happen when I came home. And she said, my dad, when the car drove up, he said, my, my dad came to me and put his arms around me and said, welcome home. Welcome home. Forgiveness, right? That's what we receive when we come to God in genuine repentance of sin. Welcome home. I love you. I died for you. I shed my blood that you might be forgiven. Welcome. As we come to the Lord's table, that's Jesus' word to us today. Oh, sinner, you're welcome here. Those who confess their sins, he will forgive and cleanse and restore. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you are willing to discipline us when we need it. It is hard, Lord, sometimes to accept rebuke, reproof. Give us that attitude of of David as he he prayed, Lord, let the righteous smite me in kindness. Let, 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 Let it be like oil upon my head. Let me not refuse it, O God. 
thank you for your word. Use it, O God, to draw us to yourself today. Help us to see your loving hand of discipline is for our good and for our restoration into fellowship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.